And I'm beginning a new series I'm entitling Countdown or the final countdown, the final countdown. I'm starting the series today, but I won't pick it up again until September. But we, we're getting started today. Somebody say amen. Amen. Beginning in the 36th verse, we read, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only, but as in the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the great flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the floods came and took them all away. And so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, in that name, there is inherent power. And we know that the very mention of the name of Jesus causes the demons in hell to tremble. The name of Jesus will cause even Lucifer to loose us. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Christ, Jesus Christos, is Lord. And Father, we look forward to that day. Until then, may you find us faithful. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And it's so good to be in the house of the Lord and seeing folks in the presence of God. Of brothers and sisters fellowshipping together. And as we begin the series, I'm reminded of uh, an account that I read many years ago. A group of scientists wanted to determine how frogs respond to change in temperatures in their living environment. And so they got a container, filled it with room temperature water. And they placed under this container with water a burner. And they turned the burner up until the water began to boil. boil. And they took the frog, they wanted to see how the frog would respond, so they dipped the frog into the boiling water, and immediately the frog sensed danger and leaped out of the water to safety. They did that experiment to this poor frog three times, and they realized that, gradual, that, that extreme changes in temperature in the frog's environment would alert it to danger, and it would take measures to, respond, to find a place of safety. 
So then they did a fourth experiment, and in the fourth experiment, they made the water lukewarm, room temperature warm, and they kept the burner under the, 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 the container, but they didn't boil the water before the frog got in. They dipped the frog into the lukewarm water. The frog was basically backstroking, having a great time, wonderful, being in my home environment, uh, perfect conditions. But what the frog did not realize is that the scientists were gradually increasing the heat under the container of water. And by the time the frog realized that there was a problem, the water was already boiling. And when it attempted to leap to safety, it was overcome by the heat and was so weak that it could not escape the boiling water. So they killed the poor frog, they human cruelty. No, 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 the frog did not die as a result of human cruelty, but as a result of creature complacency. The frog became too comfortable or so comfortable in its environment that it didn't realize that it was surrounded by danger as the heat of the fire was increasing. And in its complacency, in its comfort, in its lack of being aware and alert, the frog died as a result of not being alert. What happened to the frog in the scientific experiment is similar to what Jesus described in Matthew's chapter 24, verses 38 through 39. He says, as in the days of Noah, people were very comfortable in their container. But what they didn't realize as they were living in disobedience to God, that the righteous indignation of God was gradually being turned up, the heat of God's burning wrath. And Noah preached for 120 years that floods would come and destroy the world, that destruction would come, the heat of God's wrath was being turned up for 120 years, but they ignored the warning. And on the day that the flood rains, the heavens opened, they were still partying, still at Cancun, still vacationing, still doing their thing. The Bible says when, they, when the rains came, it had never rained before, and they knew something was wrong, and they went to the ark looking for a place of safety, but it was too late because God had closed the door and there was no longer a way of escape. After Noah and his family were protected from the destruction of the worldwide flood because of mankind's wickedness, God showed Noah a rainbow sign, not for what is being used for today, and God said, this sign will be a covenant to you that the world will never be destroyed again by water. But the next time, it will be destroyed by fire. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7b says, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, 
being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The world will not be destroyed by water this time. God said there will be a destruction of this current world as we know it because of the wickedness of mankind by fire. When Jesus spoke about the final countdown of his return, that was 2,000 years ago. Oh, that's a long time. He's talking about he's coming back. We ain't coming back. Well, if you remember, the Bible says that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, we know that God operates beyond time and space. He operates from the perspective of eternity. But if we put God's timetable eschatologically in time timetable and uh, uh, connected to a thousand, 2,000 years, that would mean in human time that only two days have passed. Jesus said 2,000 years ago that there would come a time in mankind's history where there will be similar events that parallel what happened when the floods came during the time of Noah, and only eight from the entire world was saved. Now, my assignment today is to sound the alarm to a sleeping church. We backstroking. We sometime in Jesus. We got a, a thing going on with Jesus. It's a fling. Something has left the building as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ, much as it did with the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. The Bible says that you have left your first love. Too many Christians no longer seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No, we are seeking all of the things that the Lord said, if you seek me first, I'll give them to you. And so the alarm today, the red light that is flashing is for the church that is sleeping, that is, that is MIA, missing in action as it relates to the call of God. And I'm convinced that the, the conditions that we find ourselves in today is the result that the church has nodded off, that the church has failed to show up to the game. We forfeited our responsibilities to win back for God what the devil has stolen. Come to sound the alarm, my assignment, and to compel those who don't know Jesus to respond to the signs of the time. And our sermon today basically is read the signs. We don't need to be lost. We don't need to be confused. We need to read the signs, the heat of God's impending judgment is being turned up. The water is almost to the boiling point as we count down to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, before we jump into this, what was kind of commonplace in how pastors taught from the pulpit every year pastors would teach about future things, the doctor of future things, es es eschatology, eschatology. 
That doesn't happen now. We, that don't get bills paid. That don't make people shout. And so I need to explain that when we talk about the return of Jesus, what we are referencing that the Bible teaches, and there are over 1,500 or 1,800 references just in the Old Testament to the return of Christ, over 300 in the New Testament. We're talking about the physical bodily return of Christ from heaven back to earth. So when we, when we, so when we talk about the future of what's going to happen with Jesus and his return, it means that we believe that he is going to return to earth bodily. The second thing that needs to be understood is that when the Bible references the coming back of Christ to earth for a second time, it doesn't occur all at once. It happens in two separate phases. Phase one of the second coming of Christ occurs in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13 through 18, where the Bible says the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ will rise. But before the dead in Christ arise, the Bible says that Christ is going to return in the clouds. 1 Corinthians 15 said, we will be changed in a moment. We will be translated in a moment. Before you can bat your eye, the church will be snatched up out of the world. The first part of the second coming of Christ is an invisible return. Only the bride of Christ, the church, will see him as we're being caught up to meet the Lord in a matter of milliseconds. And then the second portion of the return of Christ occurs at the end of the tribulation. And Revelation chapter 1 says, verse 7 says, that every eye shall see him, even those who slew Christ. And so while the first part of the second coming of Christ is an invisible one to the world, the second phase of Jesus' return, riding a white horse to do, bring judgment, every eye. We'll see him. And so we talk about this return. The turn has re return of Christ, physical and bodily return. Two phases of it. He comes back in the cloud for the church. Second part, he comes back riding a white horse to do divine judgment on the earth. Now, I just want to kind of focus on two questions today, just two. But there's a lot. We're just going to try to run through. Uh, some of the things that I think that are important. First, I want to talk about what we can know for sure about the return of Christ, what we can know for sure. And then I want to talk about, as we close, how should we respond to what we know in light of the fact that Jesus could come back at any time. Now, the first thing that I want to consider with you is that there are three things that we can know for certain about the return of the Lord. There are at least three things that we can know for certain. And one of the three things that we can know for certain is that there will be signs. There will be signs. What's interesting is when we come to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus, having left the temple, he begins to teach his disciples that this magnificent edifice that you are impressed by 
He said, within your generation, a generation in the Bible is 40 years. He said, this generation shall not pass before every single stone of this building has fallen upon another stone. He says, this building will be decimated. It will be flattened to the ground. And the disciples asked the question in verse 3. They said, uh, in verse 24, do you not see all, uh, do you not see all these things? Uh, surely I say unto you, not one of these stones will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown to the ground. And then in verse 3, now as he sat on the Mount, uh, on, on, on Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when these things will be and what shall be the signs of your coming? What will be the evidence that we can look for? And one of the things that we, before we get into the actual signs, we need to understand that the signs will be clear to those who are spiritually discerning. If you spiritually woke, if you read in your Bible and you understand the basic things that God talks about as it relates to Jesus' return, you will, you will not miss the signs. Let me read uh, what uh, Luke chapter 12, verse uh, 54 and 55 says. Then he said to the multitude, Jesus speaking, whenever you see clouds rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather. They, they considered themselves like amateur meteorologists. And he said, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not interpret the times that we're in? And what Christ is saying, when you are spiritually filled and directed and walking in spiritual maturity as you're growing in the Lord, you will not be blind just like you can know it's about to rain and that spring is turning into summer. He says the return of my return will be that obvious. It will be that obvious if you're spiritually woke, if you're spiritually discerning. Now, the signs were revealed by Christ to us and are recorded in Matthew chapter 12, in Matthew chapter 24, and there are other passages. We're going to grab some other passages. And, and I just want to focus on the signs. There's six signs that Jesus gives that will let us know that he's coming, that he'll be knocking on the door and coming through to return to get his church. The first sign is in verses 4 and 5 of Matthew chapter 24. The scripture says, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and I will, and I am the Christ and will deceive, deceive many. And so the first sign that Jesus gives is that there will be deception through false doctrine. The main thing that you should look for as we are coming to the end of the, the last of the last days is deception through false teaching, specifically as it is being taught from the pulpits 
where people profess to be believers. And the Bible says, beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Ravenous wolves. Jesus said, watch so that no one will deceive you, for many will come in my name. And one of the chief ways that false doctrine is being taught today is to focus on Jesus and reduce him, not, not emphasize his deity, but make Jesus a mere man. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you are Elijah. Some say that you are, that you are, that you are another prophet, that you are a healer, a teacher, a rabbi. And then Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? The problem wasn't that they didn't recognize that Jesus had spiritual skills. The issue was when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? When Peter said, speaking for the 12, you are the Christ, the son. You are the son. You are the eternal son, emphasizing his deity. And so one of the things that you will notice with false doctrine, the first thing will be an attack on the person and work of Jesus Christ to minimize him to just being another one of the prophets, just another teacher, a healer, a, a, a humanitarian. Another uh, attack on the, on the person of Christ will be that teachers will say that he is one way to God. There are many ways to God, and we're all going to get there eventually. They will deny what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father except by me. And so a false teaching that's in the church today and those who formerly said they were Christians, they said we are now more enlightened and we understand that Jesus isn't the only way. He's just one of many ways. But the greatest deception, Jesus said, when I'm, when, when and this is the second part of his first, uh, uh, his second coming, many will say that I am the Christ. There will be a beast called the, that will be the political leader of the entire world. And the Bible says he will declare himself to be the son of God and demand worship from the world. That's the ultimate false teaching that is, that, that is, that is going to be taught. But for now, the emphasis is on you can get to heaven. You don't have to follow Jesus. Jesus was just another man. Yeah, he was a great man. Now, if Jesus was just a great man like other great men, then he was a liar. Because Jesus says, I am the father of one. Jesus said, if you destroy this body in three days, I'll raise it up. I declare, if you go to the tomb of Jesus, you ain't going to find him there. But if you go to Muhammad's tomb or Buddha's tomb, you will find them there. Because they were mere men. Jesus is the son of the eternal God. So the first sign is deception through false teaching. That's why you need to know the truth, because the truth will set you free. The scripture says that we will no longer be as children who are tossed by every wind of doctrine. You need to be in the word so that you can grow. Because the Bible says if the return of Christ is delayed, even the very elect will be deceived. A second sign will be a departure from the faith. Jesus says in verse 10 of chapter 24, he says, at, at that time, many will turn away from the faith 
and will betray and hate each other. And the love of many will grow cold. Paul adds, he says, for that day will not come unless there's a falling away first. There are going to be people leaving the church. There are going to be people denouncing Christianity. And the people that, that the, the, the ones that are staying in the church, the, Paul says, they will have a form of godliness, but will deny the, the power thereof. They won't live like Christ. They'll profess like Jesus said. Many shall say in that day, Lord, have I not you know, prophesied in your name? Have I not shown my gifts in your name? Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So one of the greatest evidences of the end times that there's going to be an apostasy, a departure from the faith. One of the things that I believe that the pandemic is going to show is who really belongs to Christ. Oh, you're going to have to stand up. After all these folk call themselves Christians, pledge their allegiance to a particular political party. And now people looking at Christians sideways. I believe that the God is allowing the pandemic to cause Christians to stand up. The same Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. I believe it's going to cost Christians something now to stand for what the Bible teaches. There's going to be a departure from the faith, a deception through false doctrine. But also a third sign is devastating climatic changes and the resulting consequences. In verse 7b and 8, the Bible says, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and these are the beginning of birth pains. And there are a lot of verses that talk about what's going to happen in the last days regarding the climate. But there, what we see today, there are fires. There have been 35,000 fires in America in 2021. 35,000. 2.5 million acres of land burned to the ground. Can't even put the fires out. There have been floods that have wiped out entire towns like Germany. They don't have floods in Germany. Earthquakes in diverse places like Delaware. About three years ago, I was doing a funeral at Veterans Cemetery, and the folks were ready for the pastor when I came. I said, well, why? I've never seen an audience so attentive, so welcoming. And they told me when I got out of the car, they said, there was an earthquake. We saw stuff shaking. We saw, we saw tombstones moving. The Bible says there will be earthquakes in various places like Oklahoma and Texas. There are not supposed to be earthquakes in Texas. Tsunamis wiping out entire villages and cities. Buildings just crumbling for no apparent reason. There will be famine resulting from climate, climate change, epidemics, pandemics that we're in right now. And the Lord said these will be signs of the end times. And the frightening part of, the Bible, of this is that the Bible says these are just the beginning of birth pains. It gets worse. Now, if you read or watch the news, it's almost like, wait a minute, where are they getting their information from? It's almost like they're going to the Bible 
and then, then writing their stories or giving their news reports. Because everything that Jesus said would happen is happening just like the Bible said it would. Right before our eyes, the question is, are you reading the signs? Are you too busy eating and drinking and having a great time, you know, trying to fulfill your bucket list while the world is going to hell in a handbasket? When is the church going to wake up? The signs are before us. We're more concerned about Britney Spears than we are about souls that don't know Jesus. Oh, I feel bad for Kanye West, but I feel more bad if he dies and don't know Jesus because the Bible said, what shall it profit a man? If you gain the entire world, but you lose your soul, there's nothing more valuable than a soul. Devastating climatic change right in front of us, mountains just crumbling, polar Caps just melting. Animals that not are supposed to be on the East Coast, in the East Coast, all uh, entire species on, uh, uh, of animals and, and, and reptiles are dying in our lifetime. And they don't have an answer. I have a, uh, Bezos has an answer. He's trying to go to space. He knows ain't no answer from the politicians to fix this situation. He's trying to go to the moon. But unless you got a couple million, you ain't getting there. And even if you do, there's no life up there. Another sign, sign four, is the, devalue, the devaluing of human life. The value of human life. The Bible says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Yes, I know that he's primary emphasis on international conflict. There's no place in the world that you can go that can't, your best vacation spot could instantly become a crime scene. <laughs> it don't matter where you go, how much fun you have, and this little girl on a on, on roller coaster just having a ball, and a seagull just flies in her face, just crashes her party. Wherever you are, there's no peace because the Prince of Peace has not come. We have more guns in America than the, all the countries in the entire world combined. Mass shootings are commonplace every week. We expect it now. Homicides are at all-time high rate. When people get murdered in Philadelphia, they don't just shoot you in your back. They stand over you and empty the chamber in your face. And most of them don't get caught. We have watched over 570,000 people taken out of this world because of COVID, and we're still arguing about, should we wear our face mask? I'm not going to give up my rights. This is America. What? 570. We are watching the, devalu the devaluing of human life. We love our pets more than we love humans. We're still chasing Nemo, Nemo, whatever his name was. I recently read an article about a woman who killed her alleged abuse, abusive husband in a, in, a, in a Muslim country. She was arrested, charged, 
tried and found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. And as she was waiting to her fate to be hung, she was required to watch 16 other criminals hung. She had to watch them going through the death process by hanging. And as she watched them being hung, she literally had a, went into cardiac arrest and died. The shock of watching somebody hung, a stool kicked from under them and their bodies dangling at the end of a rope. She died. But the mother of the son who had been murdered demanded that the woman, though she were dead, still be hung because she wanted to have the privilege of kicking the stool from under the woman who was already, and they agreed, they hung a dead woman in the name of religion. I want you to know that when we evict God from the home, from the premises of our life, life no longer has value. We treat each other, the, 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 the inhumanity of humans, the, 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 if, if, I don't care if you're a Christian or not. If you don't believe there's a devil, something wrong with you. If you don't believe that there's evil in the world, you just ain't woke. Because there's evil in the world. And the Bible says that one of the indications that Jesus is soon to return is that we will have, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be, there will be conflict everywhere. And this conflict will not end because we have no value for human life. Somebody say amen. amen. A fifth sign is the disintegration. The, the, the disintegration of the family. In Luke chapter 12, verses 52 through 53, it says there will be, the house, the house will be divided, fathers against sons, and sons against fathers. Mothers against daughters and daughters against mothers. Mother-in-laws against mother-in-laws and daughters-in-laws against mother-in-laws. Our homes have become war zones. The family is under attack as no other time. And so one of the indications that Christ is coming back, when we start redefining marriage and, and we decide that we can determine our identity, we're, not, we're just going to disregard what the scriptures say. I know how I feel. I know that uh, others have, uh, they seem to be happy, and if they can be happy, so can I. I want you to understand that the worst thing that God can do to the world is not bring divine judgment immediately. He can just do what he says in Romans chapter 1. The Bible says he gave them over. He just releases us to our own sin. We reach a point of no return where you can't repent, where you can't even turn around. The only result waiting for you is divine judgment. And that is when you stand before Almighty God and, there is, and, and the books are open and the Bible says that those whose names were not found in the book of life will be cast not only into hell, but into the lake of fire. That's not God's choice. That's a decision that we make on this side of heaven. Oh, if I decided today that because I'm saved by grace and I know I'm going to go to heaven and, and, and God will always forgive me. And so whatever I desire to do, as long as I don't get caught, I'm going to do it. And then I'll pray for, for forgiveness. But Paul says, yeah, 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 you could decide to do that if you aren't saved. He said, she said, since you've been saved by grace, should we continue in sin? 
Shall we continue to give into our desires? Shall we continue to be conformed to this world? When God says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind? Say, God forbid, we've been saved. You say, well, this is the way I am. That's why Jesus said, yeah, that's the way you were. That's why you need to be born again. Born from above when the Spirit of God enters us. That which we would do, we battle with. We don't just simply surrender to our sinful desires because the Spirit of God living in us will be grieved. Oh, I'm not saying we don't do wrong. Yes, we do. But when we do, the Bible says that God chastens those who he loves. A disintegration of the family. Finally, there will be a disrespect of authority. This is a sign. In verse 12, it says, and because of lawlessness, lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. There's no fear of divine ordained authority anymore. We used to we understood that you didn't talk a certain way to adults. We understood that you didn't put your hands on women. We understood that even if you didn't agree with the police officer, if he told you to stop, you stop. We would never even consider getting into physical combat with a police officer because we were taught to respect authority. One of the things that happens as we're moving towards the return of Christ, the Bible says that lawlessness will abound. People will continue to do more evil because they're not only can they get away with it, but there's a, you're actually rewarded for doing evil. You, you have people, you, you, you can be live streaming somewhere and you offend somebody, they'll walk up on you while you live streaming, FaceTiming somebody and shoot you and then, and then text about it and, and, and brag. There's no fear of authority. I don't know how many times I've stepped into situations trying to break up fights, and it's just, I don't know how not to do it, <laughs> but it ain't smart. I just, I just remember, oh, that wasn't smart, because when the Holy Spirit, that's who I am, but the other side of it is, whether I live or die, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. But the evidence of the return of Christ drawing nigh is that there's a total disrespect for truth, a total disrespect for authority. Somebody say amen. Then we want to run on. Now, why would Christ, who is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, already he did the work of redemption, why would he want to come back? Well, I'm glad you asked. One of the reasons Jesus is coming back, he's going to remove the church prior to the time of Jacob's trouble, prior to the seven-year tribulation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who deliver us, delivers us from the wrath that's to come. We're not going through the time of Jacob's trouble. The church won't be here when the tribulation occurs. The Bible talks about the, the translation of the church. And so Christ is coming back to remove us from the world before judgment comes. There's a second reason why Jesus is coming back. He's going to release, he's coming back to release divine judgment. He first came into the world as the lamb, slain before the foundations of the world. But the scripture says he's coming back as the lion of Judah to bring judgment. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, 
There's a scene in heaven, and the angels are crying because there's, a, there's scrolls that are written on both sides, and there's seals. There's seven scrolls with seven seals. And there's a search throughout the world and throughout heaven as to who can open up these seals. Now, the seals reveal the wrath of God and the judgment that's going to come. There's three sets of judgments in the book of Revelation, the seal judgment, the trump, trumpet judgment, and the bold judgment. But the first set of judgments is, are these seals that need to be opened? And so John, the Bible says, he begins to cry, the beloved disciple, no one can open, no one's holy enough to move us forward into the future. And then the angel says, stop crying, John. There is one who is seated on the throne. The angel says, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open up the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people of the nation, Jesus is coming back to release divine judgment on the earth. He's coming back to recreate the heavens and the earth. The Bible talks about that. All of creation is in bondage. From since like a woman travailing to be released since the fall of Adam, the earth has been in a fallen condition. He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. He's coming back for that. The, the Lord is also coming back to reign over the heavens eternally. And I'm not going to be able to Drill down on that, but that's Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It's coming back to reign, to release judgment, to remove the church from the world. He's coming back to recreate the heavens and the earth. Here's the second thing that you need to know about the return of Christ. It's going to be sudden. The scripture says he's going to come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. He said, be ye also ready when you least Expect his return. And here's what that means. The Bible teaches the imminent coming back of Christ. That means that at any moment you can be driving home and Christ could come. Now, here, here, here's where my carnality comes in. I was about to get married. I was saying, Lord, could you wait a little bit? I was just being sincere. I didn't tell the Lord what he had to do. I was just saying, you know, asking for a special favor. But I want you to understand that the Lord ain't waiting for us. Other than, I believe that in, 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 in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 24, it says, when the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to every person, then the end will come. And I, be, I believe one of the things that the Lord is waiting for is that one last person that needs to be witnessed to. Let me run on. The Lord's return is going to be sudden. The Lord's return is going to be sure or will have signs, but it's also going to be, it's going to be sure. The Bible, Jesus said, I am coming back. I am coming back. And guess how he's coming back? When you look at Revelation, when you look at Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says Jesus ascended into heaven before their very eyes, and the clouds covered him. They hid him as he was going back into heaven. Guess what? They, he, they saw him with their very eyes. And then the Bible says two men in white apparel appeared, and he said to the eleven, 
Why are you standing here gazing? For in the same way that this Jesus ascended into heaven, he will descend. He's coming back again. How is he coming back? In the same, how did he go up? In the body, physical form. Right now, at the right hand of the Father in heaven is the bodily resurrected Christ who's coming back for his church coming back for a church. The good news is, the Bible says, beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That means that there's a body that is resurrected, waiting, a resurrected body waiting for you and me, a body that doesn't get sick, a body that doesn't die. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Let me conclude with this. How should we respond to the signs, the six signs that I shared? We're told to occupy until he comes. Luke chapter 19, verse 13. What, that means do my business. Not your business, not your agenda, not your vision, not your goals. The, 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 the business of the Lord. He said go into all the world and whatever capacity you work. If you're a truck driver, a bus driver, a plane driver, an architect, a CEO, whatever you find yourself doing, make sure that your primary objective is to go telling people about the good news concerning Jesus. That's the job of the church. Not to have the biggest house, not to live in the nicest neighborhood. Oh, you should try to get your kids in the best schools. But I want you to understand, if they graduate not knowing Jesus, what has it profited them? Yeah. And he says, make disciples, not just church members, yeah. not just people on the church row, but mature believers who are studying the word and being changed by the word. If you are being discipled as a Christian after you got saved, you shouldn't be where you were five years ago. And one of the evidences that you've been discipled and you're growing, you will go. You will be sent by those who have developed you and reach others. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When is the last time you prayed for somebody who was not saved? When is the last time you shed a tear for a loved one who died? You know they didn't know Jesus. God says, I have made you the watchman over the nation. You're the one who is supposed to sound the trumpet that danger is near. And if you fail to let people know the divine judgment is at hand, he said, their blood will I hold to your account. Occupy until I come. Obey the word of God as you wait. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11. He said, what kind of people are we, ought we be? I believe the reason why the world is so messed up is that the church looks too much like the world. We smoking what they smoke. We drink what they drink. We go places and lose our mind. Nobody know we saved. If we had to prove that we were saved or died, some of us would be just going to the guillotine. No evidence. Obey. Where is the fruit of your, your, your relationship with Christ? Do you really believe in the resurrected Christ? Here's the final thing. Optimistically stay ready. Paul said, I'm caught between two opinions. 
He said, I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Jesus. I want him to return. Because to be absent from the body means that we're present with the Lord. He says, but for your benefit, I'm remaining. But he says, there is prepared for me a crown of righteousness. I'm looking forward to the crown. I'm looking forward to the day. When the Lord returns and he'll say, as I stand before the beaver seat of Christ, well done, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. A pastor, young pastor, was asked to visit a home for mentally challenged children. They were very limited. They need to be fed. Some of them couldn't walk. They were wheelchair-bound, and they were operating on a level, as far as the mental capacity of infants. Some of them were 13, but they, they, they conducted themselves like they were infants. So they told the, the pastor, don't expect much. We just need a preacher. Would you just come? And so he came and he preached and he says, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming back for you. And you're going to be taken to be with Jesus. And as you're being taken, you're going to be changed. This body, this mortal body shall take on. He didn't use those terms. But you're, this body that has failed you, this body that can't walk, this body that needs to be fed, this body whose brain isn't working the way that you would like, you're going to get a new body. And he concluded, look for his return. And as the pastor's leaving the building, he felt like a total failure. He felt like he'd wasted his time. Those kids didn't understand the thing I said. He gets a call at 2 a.m. in the morning. And the director of the program said, Pastor, we got a problem. He said, what do you mean waking me up at 2 o'clock? What do you mean you got a problem? He said, after you preached that sermon, he said, those, those children have had their faces against the wall Against the, against the window, looking up towards heaven, waiting for Jesus to come back, and we can't make them stop. Oh, out of the mouth of babes, they had sense enough to look. They had sense enough to understand that the signs are before us. Are you looking up? Are you expecting him? And if you are, there ought to be some signs in your life. There ought to be some evidence. There ought to be some, go on, would you stand with me? There ought to be some passion about Christ. You ought to be trying to get some folk to get into the ark of safety. You ought to be concerned enough to be praying for people who are yet walking in darkness. Read the signs. When you hear the news, don't just turn a deaf ear. He's coming back, and the evidence is right before us. Don't let him catch you with your work undone. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord.